This week on Writers Inc. One of the reasons I always have a phone call with any author I take on before I officially extend an offer representation is to make sure that my vision matches theirs, we get along well, we feel we can work together well, and we're both kind of in the same lane driving forward to get this book really where it needs to be. Because if we don't have that initial connection, it probably won't work out. So I really make sure that I, I have that and the author feels very good going forward with me. Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out, school's in session. This is Writer's In. How you doing, J.D.? I'm, I'm waiting for the apocalypse to end. It feels like we're, we're in the middle. Um, there's still no zombies, which is a plus, um, but it, but it's getting crazy. Um, you know, obviously we're recording these at different times, you know, like a couple of weeks, sometimes a lag time and things like that. So the news stories are, are a little bit different, but like I just heard this morning, there's two cruise ships coming into Florida um, with everybody infected and they're going to find some way to get those people off of there. Um, I, I totally understand why they need to do that. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's kind of how a lot of this started. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll see how that pans out. Um, a lot of weirdness going on here on the island. You know, like I, for people that don't know, I mean, I talk about it all the time, so I'm pretty sure everybody knows. But we live on a, a small island right outside of Portsmouth in New Hampshire. Um, there's two, two bridges to get on, on and off the island. Um, and for the most, there's, there's only one business. That, uh, well, technically two. There's a little um, like market shop where you can get coffee and stuff. And there's an ice cream shop. And the ice cream shop is closed for the season. Um, the other store is mainly just for locals. But bottom line is they're, they're talking about buttoning up the island, like raising one of the bridges and putting a, a police officer on the other side um, and not letting anybody through unless they're a resident. Um, which is tricky in itself because a lot of the homes, there's about 700 houses on the island and, and a good half of those or so are owned by people as vacation homes. Um, and what's happening now are a lot of people are fleeing, you know, these bigger cities, you know, they're leaving New York and they're coming to their vacation home because it's more isolated and more secluded. Um, you know, the people that actually live on this island don't want those people here. Those people have a right to be here. Um, you know, so there's a lot of things like that going on. And I'm talking to other people around the, the country, and that seems to be happening quite a bit, uh, pretty much anywhere where they can do it. You know, they're just trying to, to seal this thing off. Um, what's going on where, where you are? Yeah, I have a somewhat of a unique window. My wife is not a nurse, but she works in a hospital as administrative staff. And but she's sort of front line, like front desk. And she's got PPE, you know, that, that she uses on a daily basis. And weird is a good way to describe it. There, there's a, a certain uneasiness, even within the medical community about um, about system being overrun. I mean, it's no big secret. Like it's going to happen, um, but no one's really sure exactly what the magnitude of it is going to be. And it's a bit frightening to think, uh, you know, if if you had to get to a hospital for some other ailment or emergency in the next couple weeks, it, it could be it could be nasty. 
Yeah. I mean, you could go in for a heart attack and, and come out with this or, or not come out at all. Yeah. My, my, my sister's in the same boat. She actually ran the maternity ward for a hospital down in Florida for years. And she just moved to, to an admin position, um, I guess about a year ago. And I think she's in charge of risk management right now for a hospital, which is probably not a good place to be. Right. Um, but because she's a licensed nurse, you know, they're, they're putting her on the floor. Um, and I'm reading, there's a lot of conflicting information going on out there. Like from what I can tell, you know, just my own research, it feels like masks are really key in protecting everybody, yeah. whether you're sick or whether you're healthy, wearing, you know, everybody should probably wear a mask at this point. Yep. Um, but the flip side of that, you know, like those masks, because there's not enough to go around, you can't, they're not one use and throw away. Um, like the virus could actually get on the outside of the mask and, you know, now all of a sudden you're a carrier without even realizing it, which is an, another whole deal. Cause they haven't really figured out how well this spreads yet, whether they consider it to be airborne or, or not. Like it's just, it's way too soon. And by the time they figure all that out, you know, it's going to be a year or two from now. Um, so there's just so much conflicting information. I, I, I managed to get a box of latex gloves um, through Amazon of all places, <laughs> um, which is great. And we've got a couple of painters masks. So if we go anywhere, we, we throw those on. Um, we're just trying to keep our daughter at the house as, as much as possible. We're just not letting her out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's probably, this is probably a good time to mention too, that we, we record uh, the interviews uh, well in advance of, uh, of, of the airing and through the magic of technology, we, we stitch it all together, but that's important to note because many, many interviews that you're going to be hearing were recorded long before this started. And so it's not that we're avoiding it or, um, pretending it doesn't exist, but even the interviews I'm doing now, I'm telling the guests, like, let's not talk about that, about COVID-19 now, because this is going to be a podcast that will hopefully up, be up for many years and it will become dated. So, uh, you know, we, we have, it's a good problem we have. We have interviews scheduled through March of 2021. We probably have six months of interviews in the bank. So there, there's a lot of great content uh, coming your way as a listener. But if you're wondering why during the interviews, no mention of COVID-19 or coronavirus is there, that's why. Okay. So I was getting confused. <laughs> <laughs> but well, you're probably right. Um, publishing in this world is is tricky too. I've got a yeah. lot of friends that, you know, their, their books came out for, for whatever reason, like everybody publishes on Tuesday. That's always kind of been the thing. And I, I've always meant to research why, but like Tuesday for movies and for books is, is the day they come out. It was out. for music too back in the day. It was Tuesday. Yeah, it was, it's always, always Tuesday. Um, so I had Broken Thing come out this past Tuesday. Dean Koontz's latest book, Devoted, just came out. Um, Alma Kutsu, she had, um, the deep came out a couple of weeks ago and I'm you know, pretty good friends with her and we've been in contact with each other. Um, and, and it's tough because, you know, like the traditional publishers, they've got, you know, everybody's scheduled for book tours. All of that got canceled. Um, you know, so now everybody's sitting home trying to figure out you know, how best to get the word out. Um, I'm lucky cause I kind of have a foot in both camps, you know, so I've got a pretty long list of uh, podcasters and bloggers and things like that. And that's where I primarily do a push. Um, so that that's helping. But one of the other things that's going on right now is Amazon, you know, who is the biggest distributor at this point, um, has put books as a they've listed them as a non-essential items, um, which makes perfect sense, you know, obviously. But, you know, like if you order a book right now from Amazon, you're lucky if you get it within a month. Um, sometimes it, it may end up being longer than that. So that's changing the dynamic of things. Um, I have no idea how the New York Times is calculating their bestseller list at this point. You know, with no indie stores, you know, basically reporting like all that stuff is just so fluid. Um, I've noticed that with broken thing, um, hardcovers, they, they have that, that lag time, you know, a, a month to six weeks to go out. Um, but the, the paperbacks don't like they're, for whatever reason, they're able to ship those within a couple of days. Um, so we went ahead and released the paperback, which we normally would have waited, you know, about six months or so to put out. And we just put it out at the same time as the hardcover just to make that available to people. 
Um, so we're just trying to be as, as fluid as we possibly can and just kind of move with the situation, but it's, but it's tricky. How are your ebook sales looking for it? My ebook sales are very strong. I mean, they've been gradually increasing through this whole thing, you know, for, for obvious reasons, everybody's just sitting home. Um, I've always had a really strong presence in Kindle Unlimited. Um, you know, fourth monkey series is, is in there, even though it's traditionally published. Like I, I really had to twist a lot of arms at <laughs> HMH to make that happen, but they, they agreed to do it. Um, so that one's in there on uh, the Dracul's not, um, random house that they, they don't seem to want to do Kindle unlimited. Hopefully sooner or later it'll come around. Um, but that, that's helpful. You know, that it's, it hasn't slowed down. It's picked up. Um, and we talked about advertising a little bit last week and, and I've seen the same thing happen. You know, like ads that I used to pay 30 cents a click for are, are now like 15 cents. I had one yesterday that was only at eight cents. Um, you know, so that, that's strong too. You know, as long as you can afford to, to keep you know, doing that. Um, which is, you know, something a lot of us have to decide, like whether or not we even want to put money into those things at this point, because, you know, everything is just, is up in the air. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've gotten calls from a lot of, um, you know, on, on my traditional side, a lot of checks are being delayed, um, especially from the foreign publishers. And there's not a whole lot you can do when your publisher in Russia calls your agent and says, yeah. Hey, we're not sending checks out right now. You know, it's not like you can pick up the phone and, and make that happen. Like that check, they'll, they'll send it when they send it. Um, and that seems to be a trend across the board. Everybody's, you know, buttoning things up from a financial standpoint. Um, and it's, it's just kind of trickling downhill. Well, before we get into, uh, the interview with Alec and introduce him, do you, can you uh, make a quick mention of what uh, Patterson is doing for indie, indie bookstores? Yeah, he called me last night um, and, and him and Reese, uh, Reese Witherspoon got together um, and there's a, a new website. We'll put it in the show notes. I, I believe it's saveindiebookstores.com. Um, but he donated a half million dollars just strictly going directly to indie bookstores and owners to keep everybody employed. Um, and, and they're going to try and raise some money to make that happen, um, which, which is fantastic because it, it is, you know, it's, it's one of those services that I think you know, they're, everybody's in trouble right now. But it's, it's nice to see people stepping up in their own in industries and, and making things like that happen. Um, I've been buying books um, called Remainders. So, you know, if you've got a hardcover book that comes out, um, you know, goes to the bookstores and eventually, you know, Barnes and Noble, if they have some that haven't sold, they send it back to the publisher. Um, they make those books available to the authors at a pretty steep discount. So I've been buying those up left and right and sending them to hospitals. Um, you know, so I, I just sent 500 books to a local Portsmouth hospital here. Um, so I'm trying to do things like that for their employees. Um, so I think everybody's kind of stepping up in, in their own way. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens where, where that goes. Um, my brother-in-law is a bartender and same thing. There's a, there's a fund that all the beer companies put together to help support bartenders through all this. Um, and it, it's nice to see those things, those things happening. Yeah, for sure. We will definitely link to that. That's a class act, good move. And, uh, hopefully, you know, we can all support indie bookstores, uh, especially as authors, right? And this is an important yeah. time to do that. So absolutely. Nice. You want to introduce Alec? I know you've met him in real life. I haven't. So, uh, uh yeah, Alec is a, is a great guy. He's, he's an agent that's been out there with writer's house for, for a while now. I'm guessing he's probably been with them for at least a decade or longer. Something like that. Um, yeah. 2012. Yeah. Maybe. Um, I, I had a crazy agent relationship. Like when I put forsaken out, I, I sent a blanket query letter out to everybody. I'm the same form letter to everyone. I got hardly any response on it. Um, yeah, so I, I did it all wrong. And when fourth monkey was coming out, I, I kind of did it the right way. And I only queried 53 agents, but at that <laughs> point I, I already had a track record because I had about a quarter million sales on, on forsaken, um, in the bank. Um, so I queried 53 of them and I got 13 offers of representation within two weeks. Um, Alec being one of them. And I, I just got to know him a little bit. He's, he's a really great guy. Um, he represents the Horror Writers Association. He's one of the few, you know, I'm totally happy with Kristen, my agent. Um, I would never, you know, even consider making a change there. But Alec is one of those guys that I love to sit down with and have a beer with when I head to New York um, and just kind of catch up and just hear how things, you know, are, are going from an agent, you know, 
standpoint. Um, cause th- things can be very different. Like if you talk to, I, I hope you ask him about, you know, something like pitch fest, you know, cause they'll, they'll like hear how they, how that, you know, we all know authors who attend those things and what it's like from an author standpoint to get up in front of agents and talk about your book. But it's, it's really cool to hear about that from the agent perspective, what it's like to be on the other side of that table. Um, you know, he's just, he's one of those guys that's open to sharing. Um, and also like, if you think I talk fast, wait till you hear <laughs> Alec. <laughs> he, he's, he, he's, he's me talking, you know, at, at another, you know, 20 or 30% faster. So, um, but really fascinating guy. I can't wait to hear this. Yeah. And hopefully the three of us will get to sit down and, and, and have that beer in New York this year. Fingers crossed. Yeah, hopefully. All right. Let's see. Uh, I think you have a pretty good story of how you came to Writer's House. Something about uh, they were trying to kick you out and you wouldn't let them. Can you can you tell us how that went down? Yeah, for the most part. Again, <laughs> I, I had a very circumventing, uh, circumventitious, I guess is the word, way to publishing in that I didn't really know what agenting was. I knew books were written. I knew they were put on the shelf. <laughs> nothing in between. And so basically, uh, long story short, I kind of just cold called Writer's House because their website has a very pretty building on the front and I'm like that's a nice place to work and I cold called them and uh, I sweet talked my way into what we call was an informational interview where you're not really interviewing for a job you're just kind of going there to talk about the ins and outs of the industry and any kind of professional opportunities that might be coming up and uh, I was able to finagle my way into an internship uh, and I was there for the entire fall of 2008 and um, jobs kept opening up elsewhere in the industry for scouts or editors or publishers and I was like no thanks I'm just gonna sit here for a while longer uh, and it worked out well enough because uh, Jody Reamer, another very successful agent at Writer's House, represents Twilight, the Stephanie Meyer books, uh, represents John Green, a lot of very big young adult titles. I uh, was looking for an assistant as I was finishing the program up and uh, we hit it off, connected, and she hired me. And uh, that was, what, 11 years ago now. And I've kind of never left. And so that's kind of my how I've been here. Nice. You kind of just dig in and you're like, I dare you to get rid of me. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I feel like a lot of things in life is just you feel right and it's a good fit and it's kind of the right place and right time. And if there's something you really feels best for you, you do what you got to do to make that happen for yourself. And sticking out was was a good decision for me. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about uh, I want to dig into into that a little bit because I personally love New York City. And I've always, uh, from afar, I've always thought, well, if you wanted to be, you know, an author or an agent or in the publishing industry, you had to be in Manhattan, uh, in the same way that an actor or director needs to be in LA. Is that still true? Was that ever true? I wouldn't make the case that if you are just starting out in publishing, it really, really helps to be in New York City, especially in the editing side. The big five publishers are all here. This is where the quote unquote business happens, the agent lunches, the networking events, the mixers, and you're looking to kind of get a foot into the industry. It really helps to be in New York on the editing side. You can work remotely. Obviously, there are very few jobs in 2020 where you need to be in an office every single day. A phone and a computer can do most jobs for you, no matter where you are. But just, I feel like so much of life is just kind of just networking and, and navigating that maze of, of figuring out who you know that can get you the email address and get you the the coffee date uh, and it's hard to do that outside of New York which unfortunately really limits the kind of people that can come and work in publishing because New York a not the easiest place to live not the cheapest place to live and there's a certain kind of mentality you have to have living in New York and neither a good way nor a bad way just a certain kind of mindset we have which limits some people's ability to really be in, ensconced in publishing but the good news is it's easier than ever to be a remote intern to be a remote reader to get your foot in the door that way and commute to New York once or twice a month so it is doable 
But if you're looking to break into the industry, if you can afford or find the ability to be in New York, at least temporarily to start your career, I definitely recommend that. Mm. What is that New York mentality that you're talking about? Can you describe that? Yeah, I mean, as you may already notice, I talk extremely <laughs> fast. Um, I also walk extremely fast. I, I do things quickly. I think everyone's in a hurry here. Everyone's perfectly friendly, but we're also very much a, a mind our own business and live our own lives kind of people here. Um, we say hello and all that good stuff, but we're not going to really get into why you're doing what you're doing as long as you're not minding your own business. So I think that you need to have that uh, that hustle, the ability to work quickly and, and be able to just kind of put your head down and get your job done and not worry too much about the the homeless guy who's yelling in a corner behind you or the crowded subway car where everyone's kind of hot and sweaty there's a lot you have to kind of put up with in new york and it's not for everybody and i get it if you don't like it but but i love it <laughs> well that, that was gonna be my next question is like yeah but you love it right <laughs> i do no i love living in new york there's there's, a, there's an energy to this city that you just can't get anywhere else in so the world. true um, there's an aura about it. Everything's kind of happening. It is the capital of the planet Earth in a lot of ways, New York City. Uh, what happens here kind of dictates how the flow of the planet goes in so many avenues. And it's being in the mix and being part of that and being a, a professional working in Manhattan. Um, it's just a really cool feeling. Sometimes I want to kill myself because February in New York just sucks. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this, it smells in the summertime and there are definite downsides. But the, the, the pros far outweigh the cons. Yeah. Given the fact that Thriller Fest is in Midtown every year, is that are you a regular there? Yeah, I go every year. I work on again 26th and Broadway is where Writer's House is, so it's maybe a 15 minute walk to the Grand Central Hyatt. Uh, I've been there the past five years or six years running. I'll be there next uh, this coming year for sure. Uh, it's a cool event. Uh, I love Thriller Fest. Man, I'm, I'm now I'm I'm starting to get a little embarrassed. I may have pitched you last year. <laughs> you weren't a pitch fest, were you? I was a pitch fest. I go to pitch fest every year. Uh, if I don't remember you, I apologize because basically they line the authors up and it's they kind of come speed dating style. And by the end of the the three hour block, I've heard about fifty or sixty pitches, and it's just hard to keep track of everybody. So sorry if I don't remember you. No, no, I wouldn't expect you to. I mean, th that has to be. Absolutely brutal. I mean, I know what it feels like from from the author side of the table. What's it What's it feel like for the agent or the editor? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because obviously these authors have done their homework, they've done their research, they put the time in, invested their personal time and money to come to Thriller Fest and Pitch Fest and, and hone their craft and get better. And they deserve all the attention and respect that comes with that. There's a lot of authors out there who are just sending email blasts into the void, who aren't working on their, their books, who are not attending conferences. And you are already well above those people like coming to conferences like Thriller Fest. So you want to make sure you give them their, your full attention when they're pitching. But at the same time, I've never signed a client because their pitch was awesome, their writing's good, or their writing's not as good. And that's kind of, or the story's good, the story's not quite for me. There's a lot of reasons why I do and don't take on an author. Uh, it usually involves the writing and the story connecting with me in the way that matters. So I feel like authors will put a lot of weight into these pitch sessions. Like if they don't pitch perfectly, they're going to blow their entire career. Um, but it's a great chance to get to know an author, to see how enthusiastic they are, see if we fit, if we mesh. And if I, odds are, if you're at Thriller Fest, you've written a thriller, I represent thrillers. I'm probably going to want to read at least some of your book. So it's not that much of a, a daunting experience. It's more just a matter of trying to stay cognizant and focused and attentive for the entire time. I will definitely confess I have zoned out for entire pitches sometimes. <laughs> I've been like, oh, oh crap, they stopped talking. And I'll be like, oh, that sounds great. Send me 50 pages. Thanks. And, but uh, I try to keep those to a minimum. What's a deal breaker for you when, when an author sits down and you hear something and you just know, you just know right away it's not going to work? 
Yeah, I, I do. One of the genres I do besides, besides horror and thriller is uh, I do historical fiction. Um, and I feel like authors are very uh, generous in what they label historical fiction. <laughs> uh, I don't really do much romance. Um, so your historical romance does not mean historical fiction. Uh, I do a lot of military, uh, military nonfiction, military fiction uh, in the military realm. Um, but if your if your love story has a soldier in it, that is not a military kind of, you know, so they'll try to like force their non genres into the genres I represent. That's a big no for me. And sometimes you just get a bad I, I really compare the entire agent author process to like online dating or like just dating it's like speed dating you know and if you're married you've been on dates you know there are certain people you have great first dates with and some people you're like if i never talk to that person again that's going to be just fine with yes. me <laughs> and there are just certain attitudes and just oil and water-esque kind of clashes you have with an author where you're like you know what they could be a wonderful author i'm probably not going to work with them but that said jay if their book's amazing and it's really awesome and i could probably sell it for a lot of money i will be very very liberal in how much i can put up with so <laughs> there's some things that trump everything well i mean let's get down to brass tacks it really is a business relationship so that that would be perfectly legitimate to say yeah maybe our personalities don't clash but we could be great business partners Absolutely. You know, again, I, I do think in a lot of ways, a author agent relationship is, is deeper than the business relationship. It is business first and foremost. You're 100% correct on that. But at the same time, it's very uh, important for me as an agent to be cognizant of the fact that these books, these authors are writing, you know, you have so much of your life and your soul into these projects and you care about it so much. It's such a, an important part of who you are. I need to treat it as such and treat you as such, knowing that you're basically entrusting me with your baby. And that I need to be the best agent I can be for you and make sure that, that that book gets treated as best as it possibly can. So you're right. Totally correct. Business first and foremost. But I find that agents and authors have a very special relationship in ways that other people don't. I know things about some of my authors that their husbands don't know, or their wives <laughs> don't know because they feel they can confide in me. So it goes a little deeper than just business, too. Well, I'm, I'd really like to hear how you and, and, and Writer's House and the other your, your colleagues how do you pull that off? I mean, you're, you're one of the biggest, most well-known agencies in the world, yet you do have this very hands-on approach. It's very intimate connection with your authors. How do you do that? Yeah, it's funny. You kind of have to do that in this day and age. You know, the publishing industry is is so tight right now. It's a very difficult market. It's very hard to break out. Uh, if you're a debut author, especially, even if you're an established author and, you're, and you're, your last two books haven't done as well as you'd have liked, and there's a lot of competition. People are writing more than ever, be it just sending emails or text messages or anybody can publish a book with Amazon now. So it's very hard to stand out. And because of that, every book, not only that I take on, but that I send out on submission to editors has to be as tight and polished and perfect as I can possibly get it alongside that author. So it's really important that we're always on the same page. We're working toward the same goal. And by doing so, we can get it where it needs to be. It's very hard to do. And I, one of the reasons I always have a phone call with any author I take on before I officially extend an offer representation is to make sure that my vision matches theirs. We get along well. We feel we can work together well. And we're both kind of in the same lane driving forward to get this book really where it needs to be. Because if we don't have that initial connection, it probably won't work out. So I really make sure that I, I have that and the author feels very good going forward with me. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be a very sensible approach. Given the time uh, that when you started in this industry, uh, I think you were there for the, the advent of Kindle and the Kindle gold rush and the rise of self-publishing and independent publishing. Yeah. Uh, what's your perspective on that now in modern times? I mean, you know, how do you see that as an agent in the traditional industry? Yeah. I mean, in, in some ways it's great because 
if you want to publish your book and you can, that's great. Uh, and there are people after that that don't need an agent, that they're very successful with their, they're very business savvy. They're very good at time management. They, they understand the business side of publishing. And they have these kind of one little one person shops that just churn out their books. Uh, publishing is a very slow moving industry. You know, a book I were to sell this week, say, isn't coming out until spring or summer of 2021. That's basically a year and a half from now when the book's going to come out. And some people can write literally 10 books in that span. They're just so prolific and they're able to self-published and do things really well. And I say more power to them. Uh, the downside of that, though, is, of course, that literally anybody who wrote anything can publish a book. And your book, no matter how good it is, is lumped up there with that crappy schlock that was just <laughs> churned out by somebody. And it's very hard for your book to rise above because there's just so much content out there. So, you know, it's it's a, a part of publishing that's not going away. And it's there's some absolutely wonderful self-published books out there. Um, but I think that it's it's very difficult to really break out and be a successful author in the self-publishing route. Uh, on the ebooks, I think ebooks are fantastic. I'm a huge fan of ebooks. I don't think people are ever going to not want to actually have physical books on their shelf. Uh, maybe like the mass market is kind of going away. We're not seeing very many mass market books, the kind of books you you, you leave on the plane after you finish it yeah, when right. you get up, but, right? But, you know, these hardcover, beautifully packaged with good illustrations, good cover, they want that on their shelf still. So I think that physical books aren't going to be going anywhere. Uh, and ebooks are a great way to, to get books really quickly. You know, if I were to recommend a book to you on, in this conversation, you can have it in 15 seconds on your Kindle, right? You just press download. It's right there. No trip to the bookstore. You don't have to forget about it while you're going running your errands. So that kind of immediate access to good content is ultimately a good thing. It's just a matter of trying to figure out how to make sure your stuff stands out from all the crap out there, which is why I think agents, editors, and publishers are important. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Uh, Give me a sense of how many, if any, of your authors are self-publishing and being represented by by you or your colleagues. Yeah, so I have a couple of authors who do things like short stories, uh, some poetry collections, maybe a novella here or there that they choose to self-publish, mainly because I just can't do anything with them. Uh, short stories are great as part of anthologies or if you're an established author with a collection, something along those lines. But it's hard for me to just uh, publish a random short story from a, a lesser known author. So they go out with my blessing and they publish their poems and their short stories and their digital novellas and, and whatnot. But most of the authors I have on my list are ones that really want to make a go of it in traditional publishing. And so they're holding off with their books to for the traditional publisher. And if I can't sell that book, they'll just try another one and another one and another one and will eventually sell one of them. And the great thing about when that happens is the first book's always the hardest. Once you get out there and you have your editor, it's much easier to get a few subsequent books with a publisher and you have all these books kind of backloaded or frontloaded, I should say, you can kind of sell later. So uh, for me, it's the self-publishing on the kind of smaller scale, but I definitely have colleagues here whose authors do both kind of hybrid authors and they're very successful. Yeah. Yeah. And do you sell international rights as well? We do. Writer's House is a very robust and very talented sub rights program. We're actually getting ready for the, the Bologna London book fairs right now, even though the coronavirus is putting a damper on a lot of travel plans yeah. at the moment. Um, however, that's still a go. Uh, and retaining international uh, translation rights is a is a big part of my job as an agent. You know, selling as little rights as possible to the publisher for as most money as possible, and having a a sub rights and foreign rights team in house is such a huge benefit for me as an agent because some agencies, through no fault of their own, just don't have the bandwidth to to manage. 17 countries foreign rights in addition to the US and English rights. And so being able to kind of just uh, outsource or insource that to another uh, colleague of mine in-house and keep it all at one shop is a huge boon for me, a huge boon for the author, and it makes everyone's job a lot easier. 
Yeah. Uh, speaking of international travel, uh, when are you taking over the airline industry and implementing your new rules of flight? <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm not one. I am not one to brag about myself, Jay. But I think I have phenomenal airport and airplane etiquette. And if people just followed a few simple <laughs> rules, we'd all enjoy flying a lot more. And it's very easy to go off the rails on this. I could rant on it all day if you want, but it might be best to stick to publishing. Otherwise, we get to a very dark place. I couldn't help myself. I'm sorry. It's all right. <laughs> it was quite some comic tweets there. I, I had to. I, I had to get into that. Yeah. I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, horror. Um, up until Stranger Things, let's say, or It, horror uh, was was its own sort of genre, and it, its heyday was you know definitely in the '80s with Stephen King. But there seems to be a resurgence now, and and you say that you love great horror. So um, can you define great horror for me? That's a good question. Yeah, one of my my, uh, proudest clients is the HWA, the Horror Arts Association. I work with them on various anthologies. We're launching some classic horror novels like Phantom of the Opera and The Beatle. We're looking forward to kind of getting some classic horror out there. Yeah, and it's it's funny. Horror was, you know, when I first started as an agent back in 2012 or so, started building my own list, uh, I couldn't even pitch horror to agents, uh, to editors, excuse me. I had to spin it as like, I have this new speculative thriller I'm going to send you (laughs) where a monster comes, you know. I feel like the best horror, uh, especially in the current market, is not the monsters coming out of the, the ground and attacking a bunch of kids like the 80s slasher movie style. Um, you know, I, people tend to point to the movie Get Out as kind of the beginning of, of the horror craze, which I personally, I really enjoyed Get Out, but I wouldn't have classified it as a horror movie personally. I'd have been like, like, a, like a suspense or something like that. Right. So I think that we're, we're defining horror now in a way that it really skirts that razor thin line between this could definitely 100% happen without any real belief that needs to be suspended. And it's just a little bit too out there. And people that can kind of straddle that line really successfully, I think are really good. Like Paul Tremblay, I think is fantastic yes. at that. Um, you know, being able to just, just kind of walk that line uh, is really important. Important. And I think the what we don't know is what always scares us the most. Uh, the unknown is always the most terrifying. And so horror that makes us rethink what we thought we knew in a way that we don't like uh, can also really be awesome. Yeah, I wonder if that's because of the times that we're in. And it feels almost as though the the physical threats are much less threatening than than the ones we can't see. And, you know, like we're more afraid of, of the coronavirus than we are of the slasher you know, coming to get us. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's a reflective of where we are. Uh, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, people use books, movies, etc. as escapism, you know, from their their lives. And there are certain people who think that their lives are not going well right now, be it via the current political climate or their social economic static. They hate their job. They hate their family, whatever the case may be. And they want to escape in something that has it a lot worse than they do. And I think horror is the perfect place for that because no matter how bad your life is, at least there isn't some clown named Pennywise trying to eat your kids. You know, so I think being able to kind of put your life in perspective via horror and horror is also a great place to just like let all of the the evil of the world out in a way that can physically manifest itself in a way that maybe we can't personally describe. You know, there may be some evil or some awful thing happening in your life, but you don't know what it is. You don't know why you're so depressed. You don't know what it is that's kind of haunting you. But if you read a book about this, like evil clown or or 
monster or malevolent force. That's a tangible thing that you can see thwarted and beaten, and it gives you hope in that respect. And because of that, I think horror writers are just some of the nicest people you will ever meet. I've heard because that so many they're times. Just, yeah. They're just the coolest, most laid-back people because all the bad stuff is vomited out on the page, <laughs> and all that's left is just a chill, awesome dude or woman. Yeah. <laughs> I know you've gone back and forth on this. Uh, so as of today, do you believe in the paranormal? <laughs> um. I think if I had to, if I had to kind of gun to my head, pick a side, I would say no, because I feel like with everybody having access to cell phone cameras and Bluetooth and everyone's taking pictures of everything all the time, we still haven't caught a single thing anywhere <laughs> on any camera ever, which leads me to believe that maybe Bigfoot's not real and Loch Ness Monster's not real. But I, if, if you were to tell me, I, I, I may have possibly seen a ghost once and if someone were to tell me that I actually was a ghost, I'd be A, relieved, because now I know there's something after this life, and B, I wouldn't need too much convincing. But if I had to fall on one side of the fence as of right now, I'm going to be in the no camp. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I, I, have, uh, I have a couple more questions for you. This one, uh, I'm asking for a friend. Uh, okay. <laughs> what's the best way to take a punch? <laughs> the best way to take a punch, obviously, is to not take a punch at all. But if you absolutely have to take a punch, um, most people are right-handed. So odds are the punch is going to be coming from your left side. Uh, if you can try and roll with it and and absorb the blow, ideally not anywhere along the button lines. Basically runs from the temple all the way down to the chin, kind of that jawline there. That's a bad place to take a punch. If you want to try and lower your head, try to get the top of your head and turn your head over to the right side. So they kind of hit you right on top of the forehead. That'll hurt them a lot more than it'll hurt you and it'll allow you to roll with it a little more. But <laughs> I don't recommend it. It's not fun. In all seriousness, I, I'm, have there been any skill sets that have transferred from your time as a stunt guy to, <laughs> to an agent? Seriously. <laughs> no, that's a good question. I will say that <laughs> being in L.A. and doing kind of the L.A. movie set personality lifestyle, uh, one thing that L.A. taught me very much was how to deal with a multitude of personality types um, from the very difficult kind of diva actors to the laid back um, chill people to the union guys who are very much in their lane. And everyone kind of brings their own mania uh, to the L.A. scene. And authors, to make a blanket statement, are a little finicky, maybe a little quirky, um, maybe insecure about their work or overly secure about their work. And as an agent, it's my job to make sure that each author is becoming their best self. And so how I agent one author is very different from how I agent another author. So being able to kind of manage those personalities is something I learned from, from stunt work. And also as an agent, something I do is I make sure that either the editor and the agent, uh, the author, excuse me, both come out smelling like absolute roses so i am taking it from the author who's miserable <laughs> telling the editor how wonderful things are then the editor screams at me and i tell the author how wonderful it is so i'm taking a lot of verbal and emotional blows uh, i'm getting thrown around that way um and being able to kind of take it and, and making sure everyone comes out okay so i guess that's not one way to translate it over yeah you're still taking punches every day every day man <laughs> Oh, nice. Well, I'd like to maybe kind of pull the conversation to a close with a, uh, a somewhat of a bigger question. You can feel free to answer this however you want. We touched a little bit upon, on it earlier, but in the next five to 10 years, where do you think the publishing industry is headed? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Um, I, I, again, I, I don't think books are going away. I really think books will be here for, uh, for the long haul. Uh, people are always going to write books. People are always going to read books. People are always going to need, or maybe not all of them, but authors are always going to need people to help them manage their, their authorly lifestyle. 
Um, but publishing is very cyclical. Uh, it kind of goes around in circles and it's very interesting now because there's so much content out there with, with, with Netflix and Amazon and these streaming services where you watch an entire season in a weekend and then you have to wait for two years for the next one to come out. Um, I, I think that there's going to be, in my opinion, a, a shift in the industry in that maybe we'll be speeding up how quickly we get books out. Um, maybe more interactive books would be kind of cool um, where, you know, you can, you can kind of choose your own adventure, so to speak, with certain books or ways to get multimedia involved in eBooks. Uh, again, there's always going to be room for a nice, beautifully published hardcover book on your shelf. But the reading experience, I think, is going to become much more interactive. We're already seeing it with people. Audiobooks are as huge as they've ever been, you know, and you you listen to your audiobook on your iPhone and then you, you have it streaming into your car. And so you can kind of pick up where you left off. So um, being constantly able to, to read and have access to content uh, is something that the books will, will definitely kind of benefit from, I think, going forward. All right, so there we have it, the interview with Alec Shane. Some uh, great takeaways there. Uh, I've got a few I'd like to mention. You want to go first this week, or would you like me to go first? Uh, no, I'll, I'll go out there. All right. First of all, like I said, talk crazy fast. <laughs> you, might, you might have to actually slow this one down to, to catch everything. Um, I, I love how we got into Writer's House. Um, that, that was a really cool story. Um, and I had no idea that he was actually a, a stunt guy at some yeah. point. I'm not even sure where you, where you found that. Is that in his bio somewhere? I don't remember, but I was like, I have to ask him about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can totally see him doing that though. He's, he's definitely like, that makes so much more sense now. Um, and it's nice to know how to take a punch. I think. Yeah. It, yeah. That's it, very useful information. <laughs> yeah. And, and the other thing that he brought up, you know, that agents actually do take a lot of punches for their, their authors. I mean, they, they really are the, the middle person there. Um, you know, like I, I rarely have a conversation with my editor that's a negative conversation. If there's even the inkling of any kind of problem, you know, me and my editor, we smile at each other, and then we both hang up and we both call my agent. <laughs> <laughs> and and she she hears both sides of that. Um, and gets an earful and somehow she manages to you know to corral a couple of cats and keep everything in line and hopefully get that book out. Um, but it takes a special kind of person to be able to do that. Um, and writer's house having the um you know, this is totally zigging and, and zagging here, but having the foreign rights in-house, in I think, is, is very beneficial, too. I think a lot of authors, or first-time authors in particular, you know you, you know you have to get an agent. You know that agents can try and sell your book to a publisher. Um, what you don't realize is they do that over and over and over again for the same book. You know, they, they sell it in the U.S., they sell it in the U.K., they sell it in India, they sell it in Russia, they sell it in Hungary, and Romania, like all these different places, if, if they do it right. Um, because some of these big publishers will step up and say, okay, we'll give you this, but we want world rights. We want everything. And then they go out and they sell it and they make a, a little bit of a markup there. Um, my agent is fantastic at doing that. She doesn't do foreign rights in-house. She's got a relationship with a, another agent that does nothing but foreign rights. So they work very closely together. Um, and one of the other things that Kristen does that Alec didn't touch on, on, touch on is she pulls the audio rights out um, from the bulk of my contracts and she sells that separately too. Um, which I, which I think is important. Um, and, and, you know, little things like, um, you know, video game rights and, you know, those, those types of things, you know, you have to watch for that in a contract and a good agent will, will make sure that the author is able to, to keep those. Yeah. I know from, you know, having friends who are hardcore independent authors, uh, they seemed there's, there's a, it's easy to demonize the traditional publishing industry. And, it's when you have conversations and you meet guys like Alec where you, where you realize like, these are people who love books too. Like these are, these are people who love reading, who love authors, who love being part of the industry. 
and I, I just, I, I really connected with Alec. I, it was the first time I had an extended conversation with a literary agent, and he just struck me as a really down to earth, kind of passionate guy who really cares about books and reading. Yeah, well, that's that's important too because you spend a lot of time on the phone with your agent or in, in person. You know, I, I talk to mine just as much as I talk to my wife, and you have to have a, a good dialogue there. You know, like I, I mentioned earlier, I, I had thirteen different ones I had to choose from. Um, there's a, a website out there called Publishers Marketplace where you can actually research the stats on an agent. So if you get in a position where you do have multiple agents that are trying to sign you, um, go out there and take a look at the kind of deals that they've put together for other authors. Um, contact those other authors, you know, get, get feedback. Don't, don't call the people the agent wants you to call, um, you know, try and figure out who they represent and reach out to those people uh, individually. Um, but the most important thing out of all of that is just make sure you've got a good rapport with, with that person. You know, even if another agent comes along that may be the, the, the better agent on paper, you know, if you pick up the phone and, and you talk to that person and you just don't hit it off, you know, it's probably not going to be a good fit. They might do okay for you on that first book, but you know, five, 10 years down the road, a couple books in, you know, it, it may be a very sour relationship and you're, and you're, you're basically stuck in bed with this person because it's a difficult position. It's very hard to unravel an agent author relationship. Yeah. Um, you know, so many contracts involved, they span years and years and years. Um, so you want to make sure you've got the right people, you know, working with you from the get go. Well, hopefully everyone found that uh, conversation extremely useful. Like I said, Al Alec is a great guy. Bonus points that he loves horror and works with the HWA, uh, especially from our standpoint. But uh, yeah, fantastic guy. Great interview and, and hope you all got a lot of great stuff out of that. Yeah, but if you're at one of these conferences where he's doing a pitch fest kind of thing, make sure you're, you're at his table. Um, give, give him a hard time. Just see if you can rattle. <laughs> he <laughs> loves that. Of, yeah, yeah, he, he loves that. <laughs> Oh, excellent. Uh, so let's, let's, uh, tease our, our guests for next week. Uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the tease since, uh, this is a, a, a local, uh, celebrity here in Cleveland, Ohio. We're excited to have Ramona Robinson on the podcast next week. She is, uh, an Emmy award-winning journalist, um, primetime news anchor, uh, has been for multiple, multiple, uh, networks here in Cleveland. And what's really exciting about what Ramona's doing is that she left all of that and uh, after a storied career in, as I said, TV and broadcast journalism, and her second act is being a writer. And she's uh, written two nonfiction books and uh, is a motivational speaker and just a lovely person and uh, really looking forward to having that conversation with her. I can't wait. Cool. All right. So to our listeners, uh, we appreciate your support. And if you like what you're hearing, please tell a friend or consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Until next time, have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers, Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.